Okay. I never realized it, but I say okay every time we start. I never realized it until John, who does the recording, said, I just look for the word okay now and I know where we are. So. And he says, Levi does the same thing. So, okay? All right. I want to begin a series tonight, and I'm not sure where this will take us. I have uh, thoughts in my head, but I'm staying open to changes. Uh, uh, but we're going to talk about uh, the next little while the capacity for God. We talk a lot about being full of the Holy Spirit. There's every kind of weirdo you can think of if you go on TV talking about the fullness of the Spirit and you got to jump over the pews and you got to do this and that and and uh, and understand that it is not possible for you to be filled with all the fullness of God. You can't take it. You don't have the capacity to take all that God is. Can't take it in. And so we're going to talk about capacity tonight and use a certain character out of the Bible and uh, talk about his capacity and how it works and why it is. First uh, Samuel chapter number 13. First Samuel chapter number 13. <clears throat> the character we're going to think about for a while tonight is introduced to us here from God's point of view. And we are interested in God's point of view. What does God want? Uh, what does God want for us to be? And can we uh, reach that? Uh, the Bible says, be perfect. Everybody good? We're all set there? Everybody all perfect? Well, Bible says be perfect and nobody's there yet. So nobody has arrived. Nobody has got it all figured out. Nobody's perfect. But we are to have in our hearts that thought. And here is somebody that God uh, chose. And we're going to read this because it's the end of one man and the beginning of another. 1 Samuel 13, verse 13. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Now, King Saul was a king over Israel, and he hardly ever did anything right. I'm not sure how he got to be. He got to be king because Israel said, we want a king, we want a king. And God said, you don't need a king, it'll make trouble for you. We want a king, we want a king, we want to be like the rest of the world. So he gave him their first king, Saul. He was very impressive when you looked at him. 
He said he was head and shoulders taller than everybody else. If somebody came in here right now and, you know, he was head and shoulders, we'd all look at him, right? We'd all say, wow, look at that guy. And so here was a guy that really looked like something, but inside he wasn't. So Samuel uh, sent him off to uh, wipe out a nation that was a really evil nation. And he decided he didn't really need to do that. And so he brought back some animals and was going to sacrifice them. And God said, kill the people and kill their flocks. Wipe everything out I want and anything left of this nation. But he decided he had a better idea. So he brought back these animals. And Samuel, he's the prophet, comes along and he says, hey, I hear sheep uh, bladding. How come I hear that? He says, ah, we made some sacrifices. And he tells him, what does God care about sacrifices? He told you to do something. So here in, in verse 13, Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the command of the Lord thy God, which he commanded me. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. And so uh, he says, God has made a change. He doesn't want you, but he found a man after his own heart. This is somebody that God there's the one I want. He's just what I want. He's got what I want for uh, somebody to be the next king. And the man is David. Boy, he's a kid. He's just a kid. And uh, it's David is the fellow who he speaks of. And at that time, he's a boy. He's a teenager. And as a teenager... God says, he's a man after my own heart. All right, now I know how many teenagers you've been around. <laughs> been around a few teenagers. And you know that teenagers can be a challenge. They can be uh, uh, contrary. They can be all kinds of things. Here's a teenager that God says, that guy, that boy there, He's got something that I want. And so we want to talk about the capacity for God. And David had it very young. Now, I want you to go to Revelations. We're going to flip around just a little bit. Revelations chapter uh, number 4. Revelations chapter number 4. There's some information here that's important if we're going to think about your capacity for God. How much of God can you hold? If God was going to fill you, uh, is it a big glass or is it a little tiny cup? Or is it a 
55-gallon drum? What is it? If God's going to fill you, how much can you hold? Verse, chapter 4 of Revelation, the very last verse, 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. And so, each person, he says, whoever it was before and is today, each person, every person was created for God's pleasure. God wanted to have pleasure from every person that was ever created. And so he put within man the capacity to please God. He said, why you're created? You're created to please God. And that's what he put in every man. And in every man then is a capacity for God. And you say, well, I know some people that don't want God at all. And we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But in God's original intention were to create man that he can draw pleasure from that person. That they will do the things that please him. And uh, he put that capacity in us. Now, there's lots of ways to say it. One of the favorite ways that I've heard uh, from an old mystic he said, uh, every man has a, a void inside, an empty place inside of him. And that void, that vacuum, he said, is God-shaped. And so the void inside of every person, the emptiness that comes inside of people, uh, can be filled by God, and that's the only thing that can fill that emptiness. Because the vacuum, the void, he said, is God-shaped. It's shaped like God. And so everybody has that inside of them, the yearning, the desire for God. Now, I think some people have larger capacity and a natural tendency for it. And I think that uh, one of the things that leads to that larger capacity and that natural tendency is when you start early. When you start early. And thus we go back to David. He's a teenager. He's 14, 15 years old, and he tends sheep. He's the youngest in his family, and he tends sheep. That's what he does. And he has a magnificent capacity or God. How did he get it? Did everybody have it? Does some people not have it? I think there are early signs. And when I say that we invest everything we can across the driveway, that's why we're doing that. 
because over there are children who have natural capacity and sometimes very large capacity and so we have to get there early because I think that there are early signs in a life and I've been watching children as long as I've been thinking about this and of course my own grandchildren I watch very closely and I'm interested in early signs of a capacity for God. I do believe it runs in families. That somewhere in my father's family, not my mother's family, but in my father's family, there were people who seemed to have a capacity for God, a large capacity. My grandmother was one of those people. My grandfather, too, really. Uh, he read his Bible twice a day. Uh, it was Norwegian. I remember picking it up and looking at it and opening it up and said, what's that? Can't read it. And he had a devotional that he read every day by a Norwegian author. And of course, I couldn't read that either. It was in Norwegian. But recently, I found an English version of it, and I got it. And I've been reading it and reading it and reading it. And wow, it's really, really good. And so I think... Uh, in families, there are tendencies sometimes, and early signs are uh, people that are sensitive. Right, the early sign, uh, sensitive. I watch how kids react to other children. And there are some would just soon kick the other kid as not right, just soon punch him out, yeah, do whatever. But occasionally along comes a kid who will take time and sit down with a kid that nobody else will talk to. They'll sit down with a handicapped kid and just talk and chat with them and be kind to them. That's a very good sign. An early sign is that there's a sensitive part in a person. And I look for people who are less selfish, children who are less selfish. Uh, of course, you say, well, if we have a God-shaped vacuum in it and God gave something to each person so that we could please him, we have that vacuum in us, then why aren't we all full capacity for God? Well, there's a whole other category comes along. It's called sin. So you say, well, I'm born, I'm created with the capacity to have God, to take God into my heart. Yes, you are. God did that. But sin is also something that you came into the world with. It's part of your character, part of who you are. And uh, it shrinks the capacity for God. And so sin shrinks capacity. The more we uh, engage in it, the smaller your capacity is for God. You start with something like selfishness. It's unusual to find a young child who is unselfish. When you find them, I keep a good track of that little one. Uh, because uh, selfishness was the first thing came into the race. Adam and Eve, right? going to eat of that fruit of that tree, Satan says, hey, look, 
you know, God said, don't do that. What is, don't listen to God. You can be like God. What, what he said, you can be like God. Or you can be the center. You're the center of things. You are the one that can make the world revolve around you. So you can be like God. And so uh, you set yourself in the center of things. And so we become self-centered. That shrinks our capacity for God. All right. Now, um, children, there's another part about children that I look for as if they are quiet. And I would say contemplative. Quiet and contemplative. If they talk continuously, nonstop, all the time. Well, I know plenty of adults that do that. There's something about a quiet person that, particularly in a younger person, and you're talking about David. And God said, look at that boy. He's right after my own heart. He was quiet. Why? Because he was by himself for months and months and months. Tending sheep. Years, probably. Tending sheep. So he's not that talkative. He has that quiet, contemplative nature that comes from sitting out under the stars, watching sheep, living outside and uh, just being quiet. Now it goes a little farther with him, uh, but I want to look at it here and see how this comes out for him. First Samuel 16. First Samuel 16. After Saul is rejected from being king because his heart keeps getting smaller and shrinking and shrinking, uh, God is looking for someone. He said, I found somebody who's just the person I want. Now go, says this Samuel, to Jesse's house. He lives in Bethlehem. Tell him you're there to make sacrifices because they'll be afraid of you because they were scared to death of Samuel. When Samuel came... He'd look up and it would start thundering. And they go, oh no, here he comes. Here comes this prophet who means business. Well, <clears throat> he's coming to Bethlehem. And God says to him, they're going to be scared to death of you unless you tell them they're going to go sacrifice. They'll think that's all right. So I want you to go to Jesse's house. He goes to Jesse's house. And God says, I want you to look over his sons. And I'll tell you when you got the right one, anoint him to be king. And so the first one comes in in verse 7. Well, let's say verse 6. Came to pass when they were come, he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Here's this fine figure of a young man, the oldest one of Jesse's sons. He comes in and he says, Wow, he's an impressive looking young man. But the Lord said to Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. 
And so God's looking inside of us, inside of our hearts, to see what he sees there that pleases him. So they start bringing the, all their sons, and finally they bring all of them. Verse 11, Samuel said to Jesse, are, all, are here all thy children? And he said, well, there remains yet the youngest. Behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, fetch and send him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. Now, uh, Samuel said to Jesse, get your sons there. I want to see all your sons. And so he got all of them except for David. Why do you think he left him out? He's a punk kid. He's just a kid. He's not a fine figure of a man like these young men. He's a kid. He's out tending sheep. Eh, don't even call him. So he said, get him in here. I want to see him. Verse 12. And he sent and brought him in. He was ruddy and withal of a beautiful countenance, goodly to look to. Most of the Jews are dark. Dark colored hair, dark complexion. Uh, here's one that was red, a redhead. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. And Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So he's absent because uh, he's not counted for much. He's alone tending sheep. What's the value of that? Well, when you're all alone, there's no infection around Sin is an infection. You understand? Sin acts like an infection. And so, uh, him being quiet and out by himself, he stayed away from these things that shrink capacity. And we spoke of them just the other week. Uh, we said there was lust of the flesh, all right? Lust of the eyes, which we said was. Uh, material things, money, and then pride of life, uh, which was power, power over others in particular. Uh, all of those things can become all-consuming, and young people can get a hold of any one of those. Uh, they can get a hold of materialism very easy, shrink your capacity for God. Same way with the lust of the flesh. It runs strong in young people. And I know it runs strong in young people. And because of it, uh, it shrinks our capacity. So sin shrinks the capacity. Here's a kid out by himself in the field all the time. And so he stays pure. He stays clean and God's watching him. Now, if it was just that, that wouldn't be quite enough. But there's something else about David that sets him apart. If you say, what's the most famous thing about David? You say, well, he's the king. No. Nope. Wrong answer. What's the most famous thing about David? Superior in every way as a musician. Superior as a musician. You have a book in the Bible, that's the Jewish hymn book. He's the main author. 80% of what's there he wrote. He's a musician. He said, what, is that something special? Well, 
music and what God is looking at is this young fella and music. And music is emotion expressed. Good music is always emotion expressed. Anybody can sing a song and not feel anything. But if you want to have good music, you express your feeling through the music. And any good musician knows if you're not moved by it, then what is it? It's just noise. But if you can move the heart, your own heart, uh, by it, it's emotional expression. And then if you say, well, here's God. He's the best topic for anything. So we're going to put them together. Music about God is when you express emotionally how you feel about God. And so we take the best topic, God, and put it to music, and we begin to express our feelings about God, and that is called, expressing your feelings about God, is called worship. Here's a boy... out there by himself making music. He's got a little harp, these little small things that you could hold in one arm and, and pluck it. Uh, and he's got a little harp and he plays that harp, he plays beautifully. Give you an eight-string piece of wood <laughs> and see if you can make beautiful music. Not easy to do, but he's played it for hours and hours and hours out there and he's been playing makes beautiful music he becomes for King Saul bring me that harp and play it calms me down and he comes and plays for King Saul what's he doing out there alone tending sheep he's writing probably the best song maybe ever written ever written Psalm 23 the Lord is my shepherd what's he doing he's taking his everyday life experiences sitting here with his sheep and he's thinking about God and he's going to use that to apply his care for his sheep to God's care for me and he writes this, he's a kid. He's writing this piece of music. Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Maketh me to lie down. Everything he does for his sheep. He's making me to lie down in green pastures. He's leading me beside the still. It's a masterpiece. It is absolutely a masterpiece written by a kid with a harp in his hand. And so he has a capacity to express emotionally how he feels about God. And he's all by himself out there doing it. And God says when he's a teenager, man, I, I got somebody who's perfect. He's just what I want. He's a man after my own heart. I'm choosing him. I want him to come out. And when his, he... He gets asked to step up and be anointed as king. His family didn't even call him. 
<laughs> See, the capacity for God doesn't mean that you're, you're favored by people. It means you're favored by God. That's what matters. That's what matters. And so he's using music as natural expression to talk about God. And it's stunning what he's able to do, this man after God's own heart. So uh, in this young boy, he has a heart for God. He's able to express it. Now, if our capacity is going to grow, we're going to enlarge our capacity so we can hold more of God. You can do that. That is not an impossibility. You say, well, sin shrinks it. That's right. Sin will shrink it right down till you've got no capacity for God. So how are we going to turn it around? What are we going to do to enlarge our capacity for God? Well, what did this young guy do? Uh, at 16, and probably younger, was writing worship songs that would last for 4,000 years and never really be topped. Worship has got to come into our heart, and we have to have personal worship between you and God. It has to be an expression of emotion that reaches out to God to say whatever you want to say. To say, I love you, good, say it, say it, say it. Uh, say, wow, God, I look up at the stars and they're so impressive. And David again writes what? Uh, the heavens declare the glory of God, Psalm 19. Heavens declare the glory of God, day unto day utter speech. There is no voice or language where their sound is not heard. I think that's so wonderful. I look, I look up and I say, yeah, David, you're right. There's God's right there saying, look at that, look at that. I look at the stars every morning. I say to myself, wow, what's so impressive. It's been lately clear skies, which is unusual <laughs> in this part of the country. My son and I were standing out in the driveway one night looking up over the church, and there's the Big Dipper. And at this time, it's upside down. I said, look, it's pouring into the church. It's pouring into the church. The glory of God poured out, and it was an expression. They say, God, wow, so impressive. I see that when I see a bird. <laughs> I was trained early, look at birds, you know. I see a bird fly, he goes whoosh. The other day there was a, a Cooper's hawk in my yard. Cooper's hawk don't come in your yard. It's not normal. Cooper's hawk is a bird of the woods and they fly through the woods it is zero, so impressive because they're full speed ahead, running right through the trees and just going. Doo, 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 doo. Perfect flight pattern, never touch a branch, never hit anything. Cooper's hawk. And there was one in my yard flying through my trees. 
And I thought, man, he's good. He's good. Look at that bird fly. Nothing can fly like that. Hawk can. Eagle can't fly like that. Eagle's impressive. They come over my house. I always thank God when I see one. But that Cooper's hawk, nobody can fly like that. Say to God, wow, nice job. Nice job. Beautiful, beautiful thing that God has created. And we admire God for what he's created. That's part of worship is the admiration of what he has done. All right. And then there's a part that worship includes, and it needs to be a large part of your life, gratitude. You need to say thank you regularly to God for anything. You sit down and eat, say thank you. Uh, get in your car and it starts, I say thank you. Because I've been in a lot of times in a car, it didn't start. Right? I get in a car and it starts, I say thank you. Thank you, I love it. I'd make a fire in my home, drive away, say, keep track of that for me while I'm gone. And I've never had a fire, not even in the chimney. Thank God he's watching over us. We'll be thankful for those things. But if you're going to increase your capacity for God, require you to enter into some emotional expression of your feelings towards him. And so worship is the essential thing. And he says, you were created for God's pleasure. And God wants to be worshipped. He wants us to appreciate what he's done, to admire his handiwork, have gratitude for the things he does for us. And then most of all, uh, to love him and worship him. David says, I love the Lord because he heard my voice. He heard my voice. And he took me out of a miry pit and set my feet upon a rock. And he's put a new song in my mouth, even praise to our God. And so David's just full of this worship. And his capacity is growing larger and larger as he worships all by himself. All by himself. And so, yes, he would have sin problems. They'd come along. But early in his life, he was pretty free of those things. And that was a big thing. And so I'm looking for young people who have that capacity already, who have learned early to love the Lord. I, and we tend to think, well, there's that kid's real bright, so he must have a capacity. No, 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 not necessarily not true. Well, one of the largest capacities I saw was this young boy. He could say maybe 10 words. You could talk to him, and he nodded his head mostly and smiled. Nodded his head. You love Jesus? Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Full of love. He was full of love for everybody. He hugged everybody that would get near him. He's just full had a large capacity, and you say, well, it's connected to intelligence. Not necessarily. It can be. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. And so I've seen severely retarded people just loving the Lord and loving Jesus. So David, the man after God's own heart, worship is very large in his heart. Uh, he's quiet and contemplative. Because of where he is, tending sheep, 
and he starts early. And if you're a parent raising children, you got a responsibility to create what you can so that their capacity will grow. As you send them out into the world, it's going to shrink it. I guarantee. Send them out in the world, you're going to shrink it. Your responsibility of raising children is to provide an atmosphere where it can grow. And you've got to figure out what the best way for you to do that is. At my house, when I grew up, you're going to church. I said once to my mother, I don't want to go. I only said that once. I never said that again. Boy, did I get it. That you're going whenever we go, and we're going whenever the church is open. So you can plan on that, and don't ever say that to me again. I got straightened out. And that's the way it was. And when my kids were growing up, I said, we're going to church, and we're all going together. And one day, one of them said, no, I'm going to another church. I said, not if you're eating my breakfast, you're not. You're going with me. That's the way it's going to be. If you're going to live in this house, you're going with me. And you're coming whenever I go, that's when you're going to be there. And I love to look over and see my grandchildren here every time. What a blessing it is. As we do what we can in raising children because there's that young, impressive, easy to impress age when they are still... Uh, Malleable, where you can form them, and that's an essential time for parents. And I would guarantee you this it's not as long as you think. It is not as long a time as you think. It goes by way too quickly. And then all of a sudden, you find there they are, their own little characters. And now, what are you going to do with them? <laughs> They have less influence. And so the capacity for God requires us, particularly with children, to do our best to do that. And that's why there's so much energy in that house over there. That's why there's a whole bunch of people over there teaching and inviting and encouraging and, and uh, doing everything they can because they're growing those kids' capacity for God. You watch them sing. In Sunday morning when they're here singing, watch them sing. They sing way better than you do. Yeah. You adults, don't touch them. They sing way better. They're pouring their hearts out and smiling and yelling and everything else. Oh, it's wonderful. I love it. I love it. It is exactly what is necessary. So if we're going to have capacity for God, we've got to start early. That will help tremendously. But we can grow our own capacity too. One way is we've got to worship. That means you've got to learn to pray. Because worship and prayer are almost the same thing. Prayer includes requests. All right. God said, go ahead and make your request. It's fine. I want to hear from you regularly. But prayer has got to be a part of that. But probably... Um, well, I shouldn't say that. Because these are all important. It really doesn't pay to leave anyone out. But this is extremely valuable to enlarge your capacity. You really need to be in this book 
and learning from it continuously. I've been preaching from it for 40 years, and uh, I'm still learning, and I'm still impressed, and I still read it and say to myself, well, I never saw that before, and uh, I still grow from it. And so uh, learn it, read it, buy the, I've encouraged you, get a simpler version if you need it, and read that, do whatever you can to increase your knowledge of the scriptures, because that will increase your volume that you can hold of God. All right. So is there a natural capacity? Yeah, it comes from God. Sin shrinks it. Sin makes it smaller. And we got to remember that. And whenever I think to myself, I need more of God, I'm going to do something like Easter Sunday. I really got to have God's help. There's a lot to do, a lot to talk about, a lot to accomplish. I say, I really got to have God's help. And a little flag goes up in my mind when I think of something I shouldn't. Is it worth it? Would you lose God's presence if you go follow that thought? Yes. And get it out. I don't want to think it. I don't want to pursue it. I don't want it because I want God's help more than I want anything that sin has to offer. Well, sin has pleasure for a season. Don't you know it? Don't you know it? Don't you know there's things that we enjoy that are sinful? Yes, they, yes we do. Are you going to continue with them? Depends on how much of God you want. A.W. Tozer was one of the great preachers about capacity. He talked about that and how we love God. And he said... As far as he was concerned, everybody had as much of God as they wanted. Hmm. So how much you got? You got as much as you want. Yeah, but I think I want more. Then you can get it. But you got to get rid of some of these things in your life that hinder and shrink your heart, make it harder We want to soften the heart and make it easier. And so uh, you at the center won't work. It's going to take your pouring yourself out for other people, using yourself up. And that's what Jesus did, right? He said, you can use me. How much? Till you use me up. And they did. He allowed himself to be used up till there was nothing left. They killed him. And he allowed that to happen till he gave his life for us. So what's required back? What does he want from me? He wants you to please him. What's that going to be? Sometimes it's it's the oddest things, you know. Sometimes... Um, the Bible says, think about widows and uh, think about homeless uh, people. Of course, we're talking about from Bible times. And widows, a lot of times, ended up out on the street. 
because if their husband had nothing to give him other than his labor, then they had nothing. He said, I want you to think about widows. And sometimes uh, I like to stop and see people who have lost their husbands because it's just good, just good. One of those things that God says, it's pleasing to him. It's a, it is a deeper thing than we think. Christ at the Last Supper takes the towel and he says, having loved his own, he loved them right till the end. And he rose from the table and took his coat off and wrapped the towel around himself and took a pan of water and he went around and washed everyone's feet. And then he said, I want you to do this to each other. I want you to do this to each other. It's the way I want you to do things. I say, well, that's not a big deal, is it? Uh, believe me, these churches that have foot washing ceremonies, there never was a smelly foot at a foot washing ceremony. You know, you come with your foot all powdered up nice and clean, so when you pull it out of your sock, ah, it smells good. Don't need washing. But I'd say, don't need washings all clean. Jesus washed feet that had just walked through the dust and dirt and mire with nothing but a thin pair of sandals on. Those feet were all covered in dust and dirt. And he got right down, scrubbed them, and washed them. And he said, I want you to do this for each other. You need to minister to each other somehow, some way. You need to help them in some way. Uh, and washing the feet had a higher purpose. He said, you just need that sometimes from each other. So I'm showing you how to do it so that you'll do it to each other. So that you will minister to each other. And in that ministering to each other, we have a, a capacity growing for other people that largeness of heart that God wants to give. And the more you'll minister to each other, the wider the heart gets. Until he says, what? When the Holy Spirit comes, I'll pour him into you, and it'll flow out of you like a river. It'll come into you and flow out of you like a river. I knew an old guy, and he used to say, you can be a straw or you can be a sponge. The people are sponges. They say, come on, God, give me stuff. I'll take all you got. And they're a sponge. And you know what happens when you leave a wet sponge around? It stinks. It smells bad. Just soaks it up and sits there until it gets nasty. He said, you don't want to be a sponge. He said, be a straw. Everything that goes in you goes right through and out to somebody else. That's the way you want to be. Don't be a sponge soaking it all up for yourself and keeping it. Be a straw. It never keeps anything. Everything goes right straight through and out to somebody else. That capacity, God will help to enlarge in your heart. All right? So some of the capacity issues are yours to deal with. 
And then some of the capacity is God. You know, you say, I'm going to make my heart huge and God will let God pour in what he will. And you'll be surprised the things that he asked for. So David, here's this early young boy stepping up without, for no purpose. He doesn't know he's going to be king. He's writing music just for the joy of it all. He has no idea he's going to be king. Then he gets anointed as king, and then he goes back, takes care of sheep. You see what happens, see what God does, and God will lead him on. And we'll look at some of the ways that David was led on and how his capacity got larger as he served other people. All right, thank you. Thank you.